0: Of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 103, Segment 1. Mrs. Athelny lent Philip money to pay his landlady enough of her bill to let him take his things away. For five shillings and the pawn ticket on a suit, he was able to get from a pawnbroker a frock coat, which fitted him fairly well. He redeemed the rest of his clothes. He sent his box to Harrington Street by Carter Patterson, and on Monday morning went with Athelny to the shop. Athelny introduced him to the buyer of the costumes, and left him. The buyer was a pleasant fussy little man of thirty, named Samson, and shook hands with Philip, and in order to show his own accomplishment, of which he was very proud, asked him if he spoke French. He was surprised when Philip told him that he did. Any other language? I speak German. Oh, I go over to Paris myself occasionally. Parlez-vous Francais? Ever been to Maxim's? Philip was stationed at the top of the stairs in the costumes. His work consisted in directing people to the various departments. There seemed a great many of them, as Mr. Sampson tripped them off his tongue. Suddenly he noticed that Philip limped. "'What's the matter with your leg?' he asked. "'I've got a club foot,' said Philip. "'But it doesn't prevent my walking or anything like that.' The buyer looked at it for a moment doubtfully, and Philip surmised that he was wondering why the manager had engaged him. Philip knew that he had not noticed there was anything the matter with him. "'I don't expect you to get them all correct the first day. If you're in any doubt at all, you've only got to ask one of the young ladies.' Mr. Sampson turned away, and Philip, trying to remember where this or the other department was, watched anxiously for the customer in search of information. At one o'clock he went up to dinner. The dining room on the top floor of the vast building was large, long, and well lit, but all the windows were shut to keep out the dust, and there was a horrid smell of cooking. There were long tables covered with cloths, with big glass bottles of water at intervals, and down the center salt cellars and bottles of vinegar. The assistant's crowded in noisily, and sat down on forms still warm from those who had dined at twelve-thirty. "'No pickles,' remarked the man next to Philip. He was a tall, thin man, with a hooked nose and a pasty face. He had a long head, unevenly shaped, as though the skull had been pushed in here and there, oddly, and on his forehead and neck were large acne spots, red and inflamed. His name was Harris.' "'Philip discovered that on some days there were large soup-plates down the table full of mixed pickles. "'They were very popular. There were no knives and forks, "'but in a minute a large fat boy in a white coat came in with a couple of handfuls of them "'and threw them loudly on the middle of the table. "'Each man took what he wanted. They were warm and greasy from recent washing and dirty water.' plates of meat swimming in gravy were handed round by boys in white jackets and as they flung each plate down with the quick gesture of a prestigitator the gravy slopped over onto the tablecloth they were brought large dishes of cabbages and potatoes the sight of them turned philip's stomach he noticed that everyone poured quantities of vinegar over them the noise was awful. They talked and laughed and shouted, and there was the clatter of knives and forks and strange sounds of eating. Philip was glad to get back into the department. He was beginning to remember where each one was, and had less often to ask one of the assistants when somebody wanted to know the way. First to the right. Second on the left, madam. One or two of the girls spoke to him. Just a word, when things were slack, and he felt they were taking his measure. At five he was sent up again to the dining-room for tea. He was glad to sit down. There were large slices of bread, heavily spread with butter, and many had spots of jam, which were kept in the store and had their names written on. Philip was exhausted when work stopped at half-past six. Harris, the man he had sat next to at dinner, offered to take him over to Herring Street to show him where he was to sleep. He told Philip there was a spare bed in his room, and as the other rooms were full he expected Philip would be put there. The house in Harrington Street had been a bootmaker's, and the shop was used as a bedroom, but it was very dark, since the window had been boarded three parts up, and as this did not open, the only ventilation came from a small skylight at the far end. There was a musty smell, and Philip was thankful that he would not have to sleep there. "'Harris took him up to the sitting-room, which was on the first floor. "'It had an old piano in it with a keyboard that looked like a row of decayed teeth, "'and on the table in a cigar-box, without a lid, was a set of dominoes. "'Old numbers of the Strand magazine and of the graphic were lying about. "'The other rooms were used as bedrooms. "'That in which Philip was to sleep was at the top of the house. "'There were six beds in it, and a trunk or a box stood uh, stood by each side.' the only furniture was a chest of drawers it had four large drawers and two small ones and philip as the newcomer had one of these there were keys to them but as they were all alike they were not much use and harris advised him to keep his valuables in his trunk there was a looking-glass on the chimney-piece harris showed philip the lavatory, which was a fairly large room with eight basins in a row and here all the inmates did their washing it led into another room in which were two baths, discolored, the woodwork stained with soap, and in them were dark rings at various intervals, which indicated the watermarks of different baths. End of Segment 1 Chapter 103 Segment 2 When Harris and Philip went back to their bedroom, they found a tall man changing his clothes and a boy of sixteen whistling as loud as he could while he brushed his hair. In a minute or two, without saying a word to anybody, the tall man went out. Harris winked at the boy, and the boy, whistling still, winked back. Harris told Philip that he was called Prior, he had been in the army and now served in the silks, he kept pretty much to himself, and he went off every night, just like that, without so much as a good evening, to see his girl. Harris went out, too, and only the boy remained to watch Philip curiously while he unpacked his things. His name was Bell, and he was serving his time for nothing in the haberdashery. He was much interested in Philip's evening clothes. He told him about the other men in the room, and asked him every sort of question about himself. He was a cheerful youth, and in the intervals of conversation sang in a half-broken voice snatches of music-hall songs. When Philip had finished, he went out to walk about the streets and to look at the crowd. Occasionally he stopped outside the doors of restaurants and watched the people going in. He felt hungry, so he bought a bath-bun and ate it while he He strolled along. He had been given a latch-key by the prefect, a man who turned out the gas at a quarter-past eleven, but, afraid of being locked out, he returned in good time. He had learned already the system of fines. You had to pay a shilling if you came in after eleven, and half a crown after a quarter-past, and you were reported besides. If it happened three times, you were dismissed. All but the soldier were in when Philip arrived, and the two were already in bed. Philip was greeted with cries. Oh, Clarence, naughty boy! He discovered that Bell had dressed up in the bolster in his evening clothes. The boy was delighted with his joke. You must wear them at the social evening, Clarence. He'll catch the bell of lens if he's not careful. Philip had already heard of the social evenings, for the money stopped from the wages to pay for them was one of the grievances of the staff. It was only two shillings a month, and it covered medical attendance and the use of a library of worn novels, but as four shillings a month besides was stopped for washing, Philip discovered that a quarter of his six shillings a week would never be paid to him. Most of the men were eating thick slices of fat bacon between a roll of bread cut in two. These sandwiches, the assistant's usual supper, were supplied by a small shop a few doors off the a few doors off at two pence each. The soldier rolled in, silently, rapidly, took off his clothes, and threw himself into bed. At ten minutes past eleven, the gas gave a big jump, and five minutes later went out. The soldier went to sleep, but the others crowded round the big window in their pajamas and nightshirts, throwing remains of their sandwiches at the women who passed in the street below shouted to them facetious remarks. The house opposite, six stories high, was a workshop for Jewish tailors who let off work at eleven. The rooms were brightly lit, and there were no blinds to the windows. The sweater's daughter, the family, consisted of father, mother, two small boys, and a girl of twenty, went round the house to put out the lights when work was over and sometimes she allowed herself to be made love to by one of the tailors. The shop assistants in Philip's room got a lot of amusement out of watching the maneuvers of one man or another to stay behind, and they made small bets on which would succeed. At midnight the people were turned out of the Harrington Arms at the end of the street, and soon after they all went to bed. Belle, who slept nearest the door, "'made his way across the room by jumping from bed to bed, "'and even when he got to his own, would not stop talking. "'At last everything was silent "'but for the steady snoring of the soldier, "'and Philip went to sleep. "'He was awakened at seven by a loud ringing of a bell, "'and by a quarter to eight they were all dressed "'and hurrying downstairs into their stockinged feet "'to pick up their boots. "'They laced them as they ran along to the top, "'in Oxford Street for breakfast. "'If they were a minute later than eight, they got none, "'nor once in were they allowed to get themselves anything to eat. "'Sometimes, if they knew they could not get into the building in time, "'they stopped at the little shop near their quarters "'and bought a couple of buns. "'But this cost money, and most went without food till dinner. "'Philip ate some bread and butter, drank a cup of tea, "'and at half-past eight began his day's work again.' First to the right, second to the left, madam.' Soon he began to answer the questions quite mechanically. The work was monotonous and very tiring. After a few days his feet hurt him so that he could hardly stand. The thick, soft carpets made them burn, and at night his socks were painful to remove. It was a common complaint, and his fellow floorman told him that socks and boots just rotted away from them, rotted away from the continual sweating.' All the men in his room suffered in the same fashion, and they relieved the pain by sleeping with their feet outside the bedclothes. At first Philip could not walk at all, and was obliged to spend a good many of his evenings in the sitting-room at Harrington Street, with his feet in a pail of cold water. His companion on those occasions was Bell, the lad in the haberdashery, who stayed in often to arrange the stamps he collected. As he he fastened them with little pieces of stamp paper, he whistled monotonously. End of chapter 103